Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Praise the Lord. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you are here. Happy Father's Day. Excited to get to celebrate Father's Day together and families as a whole with our family fun day. I've got some ammo boxes that are jammed full of manly goodies. I think there's a a hatchet. Beef. What else is manly? I, I think there's a hammock in one of them. All right, so before, before we give these away, I want to take a second and acknowledge what an absolutely amazing week of Vacation Bible School we had last week. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. So we, we want to thank God and give him glory and, and thanks and praise because the things that happened over the, the course of the week were the very things that we asked would happen. Last week, we prayed, Lord, let this be fun for the kids. Let it be impactful. Lord, let there be kids that come, come to know you. Those are the very things that happened. We had hundreds of kids, lots and lots of them gave their hearts to Jesus. Just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal week. So we just want to give God thanks and praise for, for, for what he did in our lives, for answering prayer. But I also want to acknowledge the people that that allowed God to use them to facilitate all of the wonderful things that happened. So we had just a, like... a an army, a literal army, walking around with swords and everything, like, like an actual army of volunteers that were serving and, I mean, from decorating and setting up to tearing down and cleaning up and leading kids around, feeding them snacks, I mean, just doing all kinds of things, singing songs, dancing, acting, puppet shows, all, all kinds of things. So if you served in, in any capacity over, uh, you know, helping with VBS, would you stand up and just allow us to give you a round of applause as, as a sign of thanks and appreciation. Man, just amazing, amazing people. Yeah, praise God. Thank you so much. Good work. Good work. You guys, you guys did an outstanding job. And I really appreciate having people that pour into our kids, pour into our community like that. You guys did a great, great job. We're, we're on, you know, we're, we're blessed to have people that volunteer and serve like that, to have the leaders in our kids' ministry, Miss Stacy, Mr. Mike, Jessica Murray, just uh, amazing people, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's important to have a great kids' ministry. It really is. That those kids, that, that's their, their first taste of what it looks like to serve the Lord, their, their first taste. You know, I, I got to be here over the course of the week and just kind of, enjoy it and, and watch it all unfold. And to see kids that are, I mean, pumped out of their minds just to, to come to church, to serve the Lord, that, that's the way that it should be. Going to church, you shouldn't learn at an early age that church is a drag and you, you have to literally be drugged to go to kids that are excited to, to be in the house of God. That's the way that should be. That's why having a, a great kids ministry is so, so important. So I really appreciate all the people that, that help out with that. Great job over the past week. I know it was a sacrifice of time and energy. You guys did an amazing job. But we got some ammo boxes to give away. So, Matthew Mares, Eddie Young, and David. David, I hope there's a handwriting kit in there for David. Uh, 
David, is that David Darty? Darty? Um, Lost Creek, West Virginia, P.O. Box 112. If that's you, all right. If it's not in there, we'll throw in a nice stencil or something so you can work on your, your penmanship. So right, right after service, if you, if you want, you can come up. Dozer's got those ammo boxes up there. there there's a, a couple different ones you can choose from so you guys can decide which one that, that you want. So excited to, to get to celebrate Father's Day together and celebrate families, which is important. Hopefully you can stick around right after service. Got all kinds of fun stuff going on in the parking lot, food trucks and, and, and all of that. Excited. Man, I'm just excited about today. Excited to have you here. Today's just a fun day uh, to, to be in God's house. Cornhole tournament. Pastor Josiah dressed in his referee outfit. Made a joke last time. He's, he's, it's like the, it's gone to his head. He called three technical fouls in the lobby on people. Just, he's, he's drunk with power wearing that referee shirt. But I want to I take a few minutes this morning and talk about, talk about men and really try, try to get clear on what does it mean to be a man. And so I, I want to take our time this morning and talk about that if you are a lady here, I don't want to lose you. I don't want you to tune out. I believe God has something for you this morning as well. I want you to be ministered to. One of the ways you can receive this morning, if you are younger or if you are just in a position in life where you are somewhere in the future hoping to have a man, that it's good to have a standard of what God's word has to say of what, what a man is. And for the ladies in general, it's good for you to hold us men to a standard of, of God's word, just to have an expectation on us of the way that we are to conduct ourselves and not to, not to let us slide, amen? You know, to have a standard. It's important to have standards in life because when you don't have a standard, then everything becomes relative and it's just, you know, uh, a means of comparison because a standard, to have a standard, it is a means of measurement or a means of evaluation. That, that's what a standard is. And so, so without that, it's just kind of, Almost anything goes. So just as as example, am I tall or am I short? Well, there, there's not like a set standard for, for determining that. So it becomes just a matter of, of relative. Compared to my eight-year-old daughter, I'm tall. Compared to Pastor Josiah, I'm short, especially with his ridiculous vertical stripes on today, just kind of rubbing it in our, in our face how, how tall he is. It's, it's all just a... a about comparison and its relatives. So the house that you live in, do you live in a big house or a small house? Again, there's not really a standard for that. So it, it depends. There's some people's home you could compare yours to and your house is like a mansion compared to theirs. And other people you can compare your house to theirs and yours is like a, a shack. It's just you know, who you choose to compare to. But then there's other areas of life where there is a set standard and it's kind of universal for all of us. In fact, I learned this past week that there's actually a National Institute of Standards and Technology. Those things that we build by or things that we all need to be on the same page about, there's people that are in charge of keeping a set standard. So it's not up to, to us to determine what, what an inch is or what a foot is or what a meter is or how long a minute is and those, those kinds of things. There's actually, there's actually a standard when it comes to important things. How, when it comes to what a man is, it's important to have a standard because you know instinctively that just because someone is a male, just because someone is a guy, 
that there's, there's something beyond that when it comes to being a man, right? We even search for vocabulary to try to express it. No, he's a, he's a, real, he's a real man, or he's a man's, a man's man, and we all kind of have our own standard of what it means to be a man. It's almost like society is grasping, trying to define or, or come up with a standard of what it means to be a real man. Maybe you've even seen T-shirts people wear trying to define in, in, a, in a clever way what it means to be a man. You've seen these T-shirts Real men, and it says different things, real men wear pink, or real men wear, wear black. Real men drive tractors. Have you seen these, these t-shirts? Now, obviously, they're, they're doing it, hopefully, in, in some kind of humor, but you can see they're, they're trying to express some kind of standard. Surely, it doesn't mean that if, if you slip into a pink outfit, you become a man, right? If you get on a tractor, all of a sudden, you meet the qualifications. But there's all kinds. I, I wrote some of them down, these different, these different t-shirts. People wear real, real men change diapers, Real men do not hug. Real men can weld. Real men make twins. I, I'm not sure exactly what, <laughs> what they're trying to say, what they're trying to say with that. But guys, you, you know whether, you, whether it's spoken or not, you've got some kind of standard for, for what it means to be a man. There's some guys that you see and you think to yourself, even if you don't say it, you think like, okay, now that that's a man. That, that, that guy is a man, right? Or other guys that you see, you think, he's no man, right? There's some kind of standard that we all have, right? You're with me? We all have some kind of unspoken, unspoken standard, and our culture has all kinds of different little things that we attribute to what it means to be a real man, whether it's a certain amount of chest hair or a certain amount of success with, with the ladies, a certain amount of financial success, all these different uh, hoops that we make to, that you have to jump through to qualify for being a man. But what, what if there really is an actual standard for being a man? If that's the case, then it, it's important if if you want to be a man, a, re a real man, it's important to know about that standard. Otherwise, you could end up living your entire life trying to achieve being a man, and you've, you've missed it. You've, blown it. you've never reached the standard. If there is a standard, then it's important that we know about it. You know, we live in a time where there's so much confusion about the subject to the point where, where our culture is even trying to tell us anyone who says that they're a man is now, is now a man. All kinds of ridiculous, just lowering that standard. But one of the things I love about God's word, God's word is a standard. God's word is a measuring rod. And it, it's wonderful because it speaks really into every area of our lives, including what it means to be a man. So I want to take a couple of minutes and look at a few passages that address this very thing. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2, we'll just read the first couple of verses. Verse one, it says this. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. King David, who's the king of Israel, is getting near the end of his life. He's later on in years and he, he knows what is inevitable. His life is gonna come to an end. And so as that is approaching, he takes some time and he speaks into not just the future king. He's not just one king speaking into his successor, the guy who's going to take the throne next. This is a father speaking into the life 
of his son. And it says that he gave him this charge. That means a command. He's he's instructing him. This is what you must do. This is imperative. This is important. And he says, take courage and be, be a man. Now, again, you can see that just by the fact that Solomon is a male, that he is a guy, there's something beyond that to qualify as really being a man. Thousands of years ago, they still had that sense. It's not just being a guy. There's something beyond that to be a real man. And it doesn't just automatically happen. It doesn't happen when you get to a certain age. There's something that you have to intentionally do, instructions that you have to live by in order to meet this standard. In the next couple of verses, he gives us some instruction about what it means to be a man, when he wraps up this instruction, he says you need to do this so that you'll be successful wherever you go and whatever you do. If you have a desire to be a man, that there's a desire to succeed. That if you're like me, you don't want to get to the end of your life and realize that you blew it, realize that you failed, realize that it was all for nothing, that you blew it as a dad, that you blew it as a husband, that you never, you never rose to the level that you had the potential to rise to, that you were a failure in your career, you were a failure in your calling, that we want to succeed, you want to do well. And he's giving us instruction that he says, if you do this, if you'll be a man the way that I'm describing you need to be a man, the result is you're going to succeed wherever you go, whatever you do in your marriage, in your career, whatever it is, you'll succeed if you'll follow this biblical standard of being a man. And I want to talk about that instruction that he gives, but before I do that, I want to look at another aspect that the Bible gives us of being a man, because without this one, the other ones really won't matter. This one is, this one is like a building block. And so you can stay in 1 Kings chapter two. I'll come back to it, but I'm gonna jump to 1 Samuel chapter four. This is a Philistine commander speaking to the Philistine armies as they're getting ready for battle. But listen to, listen to what they says in verse nine. It says, be strong and conduct yourselves like men. You Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. Conduct yourselves like men. What's that mean? And fight. Part of being a man is to have a spirit of fight on, on the inside. The way that guys are naturally wired is that there tends to be a, uh, a part of us that's non-compliant, that you don't like it when people try to force you to do something. You don't like having to do what you're told, that there's part uh, of us on the inside that we're, we're not, not, not just gonna take it, that, there's, that we're gonna push back a little bit, that there's something in guys, stereotypically, that we can even appreciate a good fight. Right? Have you ever been in a situation where a fight breaks out and you, you can go and break up the fight, but you hesitate for a minute because you just kind of want to see how it's going? You, you ever been there? I, I worked with youth for a long time, been around teenagers a lot. And when a fight breaks out and you're like, I know I should be breaking this up, but I just kind of want to see, see who's got the upper, upper hand. Right? The, the guys like watching fights. Right? I mean, people pay money to go and just watch men fight. There's a difference between a movie that's geared towards a woman than one that is geared towards a man. Movie makers know they just have to have a couple of good fight scenes. And we don't, we don't really care about the plot that much. Do things explode and do people fight? That, that's, what we want, that's what we want to see. Just a good fight. You, you can, any men, you can appreciate a good fight. What are they fighting? I don't know. It's a good fight. I don't really care what they're fighting about. I just want to watch these guys hit each other for a little while. You, you can appreciate a, a good fight. Part, part of being a man 
is to have that spirit of fight, but that's not all of it, that's just part of it. And if it's not harnessed properly, that spirit of fight can actually become rebellion, where people don't know how to harness that fight. They know that it's in there, but it just kind of pushes against all kinds of things. So you can have a young man that grows up fighting as siblings, fighting as parents, fighting against his teachers, fighting against his peers, fighting against any kind of authority, fighting against police, fighting against anyone that tries to tell him what to do, fighting with it, fighting with his spouse and his wife, his life is wasted fighting all these kinds of things and never really knowing why he's got that spirit of fight on the inside. And it, it just stands to reason that if there's so much confusion about what it really means to be a man, well, then naturally there's going to be a lot of confusion about what, where do I direct this fight that's bottled up uh, on the inside of me? But we need godly men that have a spirit of fight on the inside. We need good men that love the kingdom of God, that love the Lord and haven't lost that spirit of fight because there is a fight to be fought. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. He's telling us that there is a very real battle going on. There is a fight to be fought. And there, there are forces that are actively, whether you're aware of it or not, you are being fought against in the unseen realm. There are forces working against you as a man, trying to pull you off course, trying to get you tangled up in sin, trying to build strongholds in your life, trying to keep you from reaching your potential, trying to get you in bondage, trying to, trying to wreck your life. There are forces that are working against your children, working against your marriage, working against your spouse. There are forces that are working against our community working against the family of God. And we need godly men with a spirit of fight that I'm not backing down. I'm not going to take it. I'm not just going to sit idly by and watch the enemy devastate my children, devastate my family, try to ruin the church family that I belong to, come against my community. A, a real man has a spirit of fight on the inside. You know that scrappiness that I'm just in this to win it. I'm not going to back down. A God, we need godly men with that spirit on the inside, willing to fight for their families and fight for the kingdom of God. You know, Paul even talked about having a focus to his fight. He said, I fight, but not like one just swinging against the air. I'm not shadow boxing. What was he saying? I've got a fight on the inside, but I'm not allowing that to cause me just to flail against anything that irritates me. When I strike, I'm striking with purpose because I know what it is that I'm up against. When he spoke to Timothy as a spiritual father, he instructed him to fight the good fight of faith because he knew that part of being a man and training up a next generation of men is to teach them them that you need to fight. And in the verse that follows what we started reading in 1 Kings chapter 2, he gives us instruction that lets us know as men where to direct that fight. And I want to get to that in just a minute. But without a spirit of fight, it doesn't really matter. So one, you've, you've got to have that fight directed in the right area. We, we don't want to waste our lives just fighting against people at work, fighting against the neighbor because the way he keeps his lawn fighting against our spouse, just, just fighting against things that don't really matter when there, there's a real fight yes. that you've been called to be enlisted in. Yes. And that's where we need to be focused. So one mistake we can make is to have that fight unfocused. But another thing that can happen in a man's life is he can just lose that fight. He can lose the spirit of fight. He can just resign himself, just kind of give up, give in. He quits. There's no passion, there's no, there's no zeal. 
There's no vigor in him anymore. He just decides, I'm just gonna roll with the punches. I'm just gonna go with it. I'm just gonna kind of go with the flow. And instead of that attitude on the inside, well, I'm, I'm not just gonna take this. Instead, I, I, I am just gonna take this. And there, there's no fight left on the inside of him. That can happen for a couple of reasons. A, a man can lose his fight when he, when he forgets the purpose of the fight, when he forgets just how significant it is, when he forgets just what all is on the line, how important his role is in his family, in his marriage, in the church, in the community, when a man loses sight of how important the fight is or if he comes under the delusion that he can't win the fight. There's no point. I, I'm not gonna win this anyway. I might as well, I might as well just give up. And I believe this morning, God wants to restore a spirit, a fight, to breathe fresh into men. that there's a fresh fight that rises up. They can shake off the discouragement, shake off the distraction, become aware like they weren't before that I've got a role to play because eternity is real. Your influence is real. Your impact on your children, your impact on your spouse, the people that are around you in the community, at work, in the body of Christ, your influence is real. There are real rewards for people that succeed and carry out the mission and call and there are real consequences when we lose that fight and just decide we're just gonna let things go however they go. People are gonna be held responsible for that. The call is real. The mission is real. And God wants to stir up fresh fight in our, in our hearts this morning. You can't allow yourself to give up, to back down. That's why the Bible says things like this in Galatians chapter six, verse nine. Let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. What's he saying? You can't allow yourself to get discouraged, to start off strong and say, you know what? I, I just, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to give up. I don't see, I don't see a whole lot of impact. My, my kids are just doing their own thing anyway. My marriage isn't go. Don't lose heart because you will see a harvest. That thing that was in your heart, man, this is the kind of man I want to be. This is the kind of family I want to lead. You'll see the harvest of it if you don't give up. That's why the enemy tries to discourage people to get them to give up. You can do it. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You are able to do what God has called you to do. You are able to walk in holiness and righteousness. You are able to succeed in that area of temptation that seems like it's got the upper hand in your life. You are able to lead your family well. You are able to be a godly father. You are able to be a godly husband. You can do it through the, the power of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit working on the inside of you. If you don't, give up. And God wants to breathe something fresh into you this morning as a man. Fresh fight, fresh determination, fresh strength. Yes. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 says this. It says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He wants to bring strength. Maybe you've grown weak, weary, you have lost heart. Well, the Bible says to strengthen those hands. One translation says that droop down. It's just uh, someone who's defeated. Knees that are, are, are shaking, they've become feeble. There's, there's strength that can replace that weakness. And God, God wants that to flow into you today. You can leave here with, with fresh, fresh vision for your family, fresh determination over your life as, as a man of God. So we need to have a spirit of fight. That's one of the, it says, conduct yourselves like men and fight. Fight, fight is part of it. We gotta have that fight focused in the right direction and we gotta make sure that we don't lose that spirit of fight on, on the inside. Now, where do we conduct that spirit of fight? Going, going back to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse three. I'll start in verse two again. It says, I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Now he's starting to tell us what, what that means exactly. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God 
and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. It says to observe the requirements, to observe them, to observe all of God's requirements. Now, there's a couple of different meanings of the word observe. One is just to be able to see something, right? To observe it. If I had a table up here with a bunch of things on it and a blanket or a tablecloth over top of them, and then I tried to be dramatic and I pulled the tablecloth off and I said, observe, what would I want you to do? He wants us to see the stuff on the table. He's trying to get us to see it, right? When I say observe, to look at it. I want you to, to perceive it. So that's part of it, to observe to be familiar, spend time in the word of God, you need to know what is, what is in his requirements to observe them, to be a man that knows the word of God, that hides it in his heart, that spends time observing the word of God. But it's not enough just to observe it, to look at it, because there's another aspect of observing something. If it was December and I told you that my family, hey, we, we don't observe Christmas. What, what do I mean by that? We don't observe it. It doesn't mean I can't see Christmas that I've never seen Christmas with my eyes. When I say I don't observe it, it means that we don't participate. That even though Christmas is going on in your house and at the mall and everywhere else, if my family and I don't observe it, it means Christmas isn't going on at our house. We're not singing the songs. We're not putting up the tree. We're not hanging up lights. We're not buying each other presents. I'm not greeting you with Merry Christmas. We don't observe Christmas, right? You, you would understand if I say we don't observe it, that that's, that's what I mean. I don't comply with all the things that go along with Christmas, but if I do observe it, it means I'm, I'm on board, right? Tree is up, got a Santa hat on, humming Christmas songs, buy, buying. It, it affects really every area of my life when I choose to comply or when I choose, we do observe Christmas. So he's not talking about Christmas here. He's talking about all the requirements of the Lord to observe them, to see them, to know them, but then to comply, to live your life, allow it to affect, affect every area of, of your life, to observe it. And he says to follow all of his ways. This is where fight is important. This is where it takes someone with fight to be able to succeed in doing this because there are forces, again, that make it difficult. It's not always easy. Sometimes you don't feel like it. Some, sometimes you feel like just doing what is, whatever is most convenient. You come home from work, you just wanna lay on the couch, watch TV, eat a snack, and go to bed. You have to fight against your own body. You have to fight against laziness. You have to fight against your own mind and your attitudes and your thought life. You have to fight against culture. You have to fight against people around you. You have to fight against it's all kinds of things to be able to comply with the word of God. It takes a man with fight in his heart to be able to walk according to the word of God. That's why he says, conduct yourself like a man and fight. If you're going to walk in holiness, if you're going to lead your family well, if you're going to live in righteousness, you're not going to do it without some fight on the inside that when things are difficult, things are hard, things are discouraging, you blow it a time or two. There's something on the inside of you that you set your face like Flint. I'm going to keep on honoring God and complying with his word. Observe all his requirements and follow all of his ways. To follow all of his ways. Now, if we were gonna talk about that in detail, we'd have to talk about all of his ways. And this would be a very long, a very long sermon because we'd have to read the entire Bible. So we won't do that, but I just wanna read a couple of passages that speak specifically to men and their role within the family. 
You know, I'm glad Father's Day falls in June. I'm glad we get to have a family fun day in a month where our, our, our culture is celebrating things that brings confusion and destroys families. So I want to talk about a couple of key aspects of being a man and leading a family. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verse 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord or the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke them. Some, some translations say don't exasperate. It, it means to irritate or to frustrate. There's a couple of ways we can do that as dads. You know, one way that you can exasperate, frustrate, irritate is by being a hypocrite. Have you ever spent time around someone who's a hypocrite? They're frustrating. They're irritating. They can exasperate you, especially if they are in a position of authority. And you, you can exasperate your children by giving them certain instruction, but then not living according to that instruction yourself. Because they, they can see, my, my dad is saying one thing, but he's doing another thing. He, they see the hypocrisy, and even though they might not use that word, they still feel it and are aware enough that it brings frustration. They're, you're exasperating, provoking your children to frustration and anger. When dad says God comes first, dad says God's the most important thing, dad says we should honor the Lord and everything, but I can look at his life and I can see clearly God doesn't come first in his life. I can see he chooses not to honor God in everything. I, I can see he's got priorities that are way more important to him than the things of God. It, it causes frustration and irritation. Amen. So we, we can drive our children to frustration by being hypocritical. You know, as a father, your life is a pattern. It's just part of being a father that your children are just gonna naturally, whether they want to or, or don't want to, it's just like they're wired to almost like a, a little duck following a big duck that they just imprint. They're gonna follow after your behavior. So it causes frustration. It provokes a child when they are wired to imitate your behavior, but then you are instructing them to do something different than the way that you're behaving. Do what I say, not as I do. How can somebody that's wired to follow your behavior and as they're doing it, you're telling them to live differently, it causes frustration because there's hypocrisy there. We, we need men of God that don't just teach their children what to do, but also live according to the word of God themselves. Don't provoke your children. One way you can do that is by, a, by being a hypocrite. If the things of God are most important, then the things of God are most important. If we're supposed to be kind, then you need to be kind. If you're supposed to be honest, then be honest. If you're supposed to treat people with respect, then treat people with respect. Let, let them see it modeled in your life. Otherwise, you're disobeying this instruction and you're failing to meet the standard of being a man. Another way that you can provoke your children to anger is by the way that you handle them when it comes to discipline. When you discipline your children, the point is to teach them to teach them and to train them. Yes. And when it's just punishment, you know, punishment, if we're not careful, can just be a form of revenge. That they upset you, they frustrated you, and now you're, you're gonna get a little taste of the, their own medicine, and it's, just, it's more of a revenge mission than, than you just trying to teach them and train them and discipline them. And if you're doing it in anger, 
they're going to follow your pattern. So something that would provoke them to anger is by you treating them out of anger, and they're just going to follow your pattern. So you're just putting that anger in motion. And the Bible specifically tells us as fathers not to do that, but it tells us to do something instead. That verse, that verse again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, instead, so if we're not doing this second part, we're automatically doing the first part. You with me? Do this instead of that. That means if I fail to do part two, by default, I'm automatically doing part one. Whether you are aware of it or not, if you fail to do part two, just by, by negligence, you, you are provoking, frustrating, hurting your children just by, just by neglect. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, because this is what we have to do, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord, to bring them up in the discipline, the admonition, the instruction, to train them up in the things of God. That a father is a leader. Do you know, you know what a leader does? A, a leader goes first. That's, that's what a leader does. Remember when you were in school and they were trying to pick the line leader? Who gets to be the line leader? No? Well, when they did that, and then I'll, I'll break it down for you since you don't remember. The, the line leader was the person that got to go in the, front, in the front of the line. The line leader, because they are the leader, they get to go first. That, that's just what a leader does. A leader goes first. As a father, if you are supposed to lead your children in, in the, the discipline of the Lord, the admonition, the instruction of the Lord, that means you need to get in there first. You need to train yourself first. You need to be disciplined in the things of God. You need to know the word of God. That if I'm going to lead my children in this direction, I I need to be a step ahead of them when it comes to the things of God, to bring them up in the training. Too, too often, the father in the household is the coldest of the family towards the, towards the things of God. Instead, he's supposed to be the leader. He's supposed to be one that sets the tone, that isn't the one that is the last to church, the one most likely not to attend, the one that is furthest out on the periphery of the things of God, he, he should be the one setting the tone and leading and leading the way. So it says to ob observe, observe the requirements of God. Follow in his ways. It takes fight. It takes fight to do that. It takes fight. Well, if I was going to lead my family, if I was going to pray with them, that, that means I have to carve out time. Yeah, you have to fight to do it. I, I'd have to think of something to say if I was going to lead a family. Yeah, it takes fight to do that. If I was going to have a family night and just pour into my, that means I, I have to miss this sporting event or not, not be out in the garden. Or, yes, you, you, have, you have to fight against things that are most convenient, that are easiest to find yourself, those patterns that you just naturally, you've got to fight against those things. That's, that's why it takes fight to live, to live these things out, to train your children up. Wait, man, I, I'd feel awkward. Yeah, you have to fight that feeling of being awkward. I, I feel so silly if I prayed over my wife. Well, you've got to fight that feeling of silliness. Whatever is threatening the instruction of God, you've got to fight against those things if, if you want to meet the standard of what it means to be a real man. Ephesians chapter five. That was talking about fathers. Let's talk about husbands. Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives. He's talking about love, but he gives us a standard. The standard isn't write poems, sing songs, bring flowers, nothing wrong with those things, but he's giving us a very specific standard of loving our wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself 
for her. So he's talking about a self-sacrificing love, a sacrificial love as, as Christ loved the church. What condition were we in when Jesus laid down his life for us? What condition were you in? The Bible says while we were still sinners, while we were rebellious, while we didn't care for the things of God, we were enemies of the kingdom of God. We, we were serving Satan. At that time, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And that's the way a husband is supposed to love, love his wife. It's not based on merit. It's not based on her behavior. It's not based on she's been really nice lately. She's been cooking good meal. I think, you know what? I think I'm gonna do something nice for her. I think I'm gonna love on her. I'm gonna show her I appreciate her because it's not based on her performance. It's not based on how much she's, she's pleasing us as husbands. What is it supposed to be based on? It's supposed to be based on the example of Jesus laying down his life on behalf, on behalf of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Yes. I thought maybe a few wives would give me amens on that one. Now, husbands, if we're honest, you know, the, the previous verse says, wives, submit to your husbands, honor your husbands as the church is subject to Christ. If we're honest, we, we desire that from our wives. We, we want wives that honor. We want wives that respect. We want wives that love us and think that we're great. They can trust us. They yield to our incredible wisdom. We, we want wives like that, right? If we're, if we're being honest, would you like a wife that submits to you and thinks you're just the greatest thing? She honors you and respects you? Or one that could take your lead? Of course we want one that honors. I mean, we're just kind of built that way. Well, how, how did Jesus, people in the church that really love Jesus, that really honor him, excited to worship him, excited to yield to his word, how did Jesus get people in that condition? Not, not by insulting them, not by badgering them, not by twisting their arm, not by trying to force them, not by coercing them. The, the Bible says we love because he first he first loved us. It's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. So God's word, you know, going back to 1 Kings chapter two, if you'll follow this instruction on how to be a man, it'll help you to succeed in every area. That desire you have, man, this is the kind of, I wish my wife would look at me like this and respect me like this. It, the Bible tells you how to achieve that kind of relationship with your wife. Love her like Christ loved the church. It's, it's trying to help you succeed in all that you do. That when you love your wife, that, that's how you achieve that kind of relationship. Not by trying to, you know the Bible says you're supposed to honor, that, that's, not, that's not how we achieve that. By selfless, sacrificial love, what is best for you? Not, not what's best for me, what's best for her? That, that's the kind of love that, that, he's, that he's talking about. And if you're here, you are a husband, you are a dad, you are a, a man that maybe you're not in either of those roles. We're talking about following all of his ways, observing all of his instructions. Certainly there's ways that we, we've, we've missed it. If you're a husband, that you haven't always loved your wife with the, the standard of Jesus. If you are a dad, man, there's been times where you did exasperate your kids, you haven't met the measure, you, you have some other area where you haven't walked in all of the ways of God, you haven't met that standard. This is 
why fight is important. That as a dad, I have blown it as a dad over and over. I've exasperated my kids. I've come away from conversations. No, man, I didn't, I didn't handle that the right way. I haven't always loved my wife like Christ loved the church. I've been selfish. But where fight comes in is even though I know that I've blown it, I'm not giving up. I'm going to get this thing. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep fighting. This week, I'm going to strive to love my wife like Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. This week, I'm going to strive as a father to train my children up in the way they should go, to live as an example. As they follow me, they'll be in good shape if they can follow dad's, dad's pattern. I'm going to keep on striving when it comes to areas of holiness where I've missed the mark in the past. That, that's why we've got to have that fight on the inside. I'm not going to give up even when I mess up, even when it's hard, even when I'm frustrated with me. I'm going to keep on fighting to do what God has called me to do. That's why we, we've got to have men with fight on the inside, a determination. I'm not backing down. I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do that. I'm going to carry out the call of God on my life. It takes a determination and a fight to observe all of his ways. Let me read one more passage and then I, I want to pray. One more passage that talks about man. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. It says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. It, it's amazing when you start looking how much the Bible has to say about being a man. I read that passage from the New American Standard because it's a very literal translation. And some of the more modern translations change the language so it's not, it doesn't say act like men. Try to soften it, try to remove that. that, that that's what it says. It says to act, to act like men. There's a, a call for there to be men that meet the standard of God's word, godly, godly men. The church should be a model of what it, what it looks like to be a man. People should be able to look at, at, at men in the body of Christ and see, man, that, that's what a man, what a man looks like. And this language is used in this passage. It's really military language. He's speaking as though the, a combat was already, already assumed. He says, be on, be on the alert. It means stay aware. That as men, we, we've got to stay aware. Stay aware of how much you matter. Don't, don't be lost in the fog of life of how significant your role is as a dad, as a husband, just as a man in a community, a man in a body of believers. Stay alert. Realize the reality of the situation. Realize Jesus is coming back soon. Realize that there's a real call on your life. Realize the condition of your heart, the condition of your family. Be, be alert. Don't get, just get caught up in the flow of things in life. Stay alert and be alert aware of what's going on. Be aware that there's a real enemy out to try to destroy your family. Stay, uh, stay alert. Keep your eyes open. Keep your heart sensitive to the things of God. Be alert. It says stand firm in the faith. Another translation says stand, stand fast. Again, this is military language. Stand fast means to, to keep rank, to keep unity, undivided. Unity is important. The, the next line says, that's where it says to act like men. Part of acting like a man is not to let stuff upset you. Not to be easily offended. People, men of God in the church, they don't, don't allow silly things, nonsense to upset. Be a man. I got my feelings hurt. I didn't like the way I was treated. Be, act like a man. Keep, keep unity in the body of Christ. Don't allow stupid, petty things. Allow the enemy to drive wedges, get you to not like them. You didn't like the way they said this. I didn't, like, I didn't really appreciate the way. They, act like a man. So stop letting that stupid stuff irritate you. Amen. Act, act like men. Because he's talking about men. There's a battle going on. 
And you've got people that should be fighting alongside each other, upset about stupid, silly stuff. Meanwhile, they're, they're taking fire from the enemy. Keep ranks, stand fast with one another. Act like, act like men, act like men. That means you don't shrink in the fight. You're determined, I'm moving forward and never backward. That determination, that fight. Then he says to be strong, be strong. That's instruction. You know, Pastor Josiah used the analogy earlier of working out physically. If someone told you physically you needed to be strong, the doctor told you, man, there's a problem with your legs. You, you need stronger legs. You need stronger arms, whatever it was. You would, you would understand if I'm being told to be strong in this area, I've got to do some training in that area. And your legs are way too weak. You need to get them strong. Okay, there's certain exercises I'm gonna have to do with my legs. Your biceps are pathetic. You, you really need to do some work there. Okay, if, you, if those need to be strong, then I've got some work. I've got some training to do in that area. We should understand the same thing when he's telling us as, as men spiritually, you need to be strong. That means you've got to train. It's not gonna happen automatically. It's not gonna happen just by being aware that you need to be strong. Okay, be strong. No, that, that, now you need to train. You've got to do the things necessary to get yourself strong. And let all that you do be done in love. That, that, that is the motive. You're not, you're not manly just for the sake of being manly. Everything, the motive is love. Because of our love for God. Because of our love for our wives, our love for our children, our love for our families, our, our love for the community, our love for the house of God, our love for the people of God. That everything we do, that, that fight isn't just for fight. That fight is because of love. Everything that we do, the motive, the driving force is love. You know, David is speaking this to his son, and that's part of the role of a father because standards need to be lifted. Standard needs to be raised. Standard needs to be dictated, called out. That's why he says, I'm charging you. People need to be charged with a standard. And some of us had godly fathers that have charged us and set a standard. It, take, it takes a father to raise a standard. And if you didn't have a, a father in your life to do that, then I, I want to, if you'll allow me, stand in the office of a pastor and charge you this morning to act like men, to observe all of the ways of the Lord, to comply with him, follow in his ways, observe his instruction, to conduct yourselves like men and fight, to strive to live up to that biblical standard in the house household, in the community, wherever you go, to live as men of God, to call you up to that standard as men. And I want to pray for you this morning. And again, I believe God wants to, to release a, a spirit of fight to stir men's hearts. Before we do that, you know, we're celebrating fathers today, rightly so. That, that's appropriate to honor and to celebrate our earthly fathers. But even the best earthly father is a poor substitute for a heavenly father. And you were made, you were made for a relationship with your creator, for him to not just be your creator, but for him to be your father. And Jesus said, no one comes to the father. Nobody comes into a relationship where God almighty, God who spoke the earth into existence, nobody comes to know him as my father, except through him by accepting Jesus as Lord and savior. You know, a role of a father is to help people, help children know what to do with their lives. That a father calls out potential. A father sees the, an ability. Man, you know you're really good with music. You know, I think you should develop your, your art skills. And you're, you know you're great with math. I don't know if you know this about yourself. To call that out and to help give direction, to help train them up. 
Do you remember my dad doing that with me, helping guide me and direct me and no, steer, steer my life away from certain things and, and, and towards certain things. That's part of the role of a father. But again, even a great earthly father is a poor substitute for a heavenly father because nobody knows what you were made to do like the one who created you. Nobody knows the gifts that are locked up on the inside of you, that when you were being formed in your mother's womb, the destiny that he put within you, the things that he wanted you to do, what he wanted you to accomplish, the fruit he wanted you to bear, nobody can unlock that but your heavenly father. Nobody can help you know your specific destiny. What am I supposed to be doing with my life? It takes a heavenly father to get you to the point you're supposed to be. People struggle in life, wander through life. Is this even what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm just kind of guessing. It's like I'm throwing, I'm throwing darts here and trying to figure out my life. Well, there is a heavenly father that knows exactly why you were made because he's the one that made you. That's why it's so important to have a relationship with him, to allow you to guide, to allow him to guide you and direct you, to speak into your life, to follow all of his ways because he has ways that are general, but he also has ways that are specific for you. How you're supposed to live, not, not just a life, how you're supposed to live your life. That challenge you're facing. What, what do I do with this situation with my kids, this situation at work, this situation with my finances? There is a father that knows exactly what to do. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.